Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is filmmaker Matt Hulse. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you very much for having me. And I should say, welcome back to the show. Yeah, indeed. This is your second appearance. Uh, you're going to talk to us about your new film, Sound for the Future. You're also going to be telling us about three films that impacted everything in your adult life. Um, but before we do that, do you want to tell people or give people a brief synopsis of what Sound for the Future is? Well, Sound for the Future, I mean, it could be described in any number of ways, but the sort of the kind of pricey that seems to have stuck is that, that it's um, the story of Britain's youngest post-punk band, the Hippies, as told by the band's drummer, and I was the band's drummer. Hmm. Um, so this is like uh, n- 1979. Um, so it was me and my brother and my sister um, as prompted and kind of managed by our mum. And we wrote about four and a half songs. Um, one was about rabies. One was about the assassination of JFK. And the other was a kind of uh, dystopian poetic work that my brother Toby wrote called Terranova. Um, and then there were some other songs never really made made it onto the tape. And the tape was called A Sound for the Future. Ah, okay. So that's where the title of the film comes from. And I kept this tape for decades and always wondered if there was something could be made from this, possibly a film. The the the, the original project concept actually that was inspired to is form um in their late forties and with the original instruments, and they would do covers of songs that had inspired them from the time, and then those artists would respond in turn and do covers of the hippie songs. Right. Which didn't didn't happen, but it, it it's um out of the blue. Do you remember MySpace? I'm I Leighton Rocks is my Twitter handle and remain is and was the name I used when I got my MySpace page. Right, right. Well we the hippies had a presence there and um out of the blue this this electronica duo from Lausanne in Switzerland got in touch and said, could we do a cover of your song Dallas City Ghost? I said, yeah, that would be that'd be really interesting to hear. See what you do, and at that moment, I thought, gosh, it would be inter- if they're going to go to that trouble, it would be interesting to film them doing mm. that. And that's where it tipped over into a film project. Even though I didn't go and film them, it sort of suddenly shifted it from being a, a covers project to a to a film. And um, yeah, we, we so it's kind of as a project. It started out in two thousand and ten, so it's another slow burn. And and yeah, it's it's. <laughs> very difficult to describe it. No, no. Well, let, let me. Well, I, mean, I think it's, it's interesting because it's it, on the one hand, it's it's um, it's an autobiographical film. Obviously, you're you're recounting mm. certain aspects of your life through the 
through the prism of the band and obviously the band being your family <laughs> that that that, mm. that brings up um memories of being a family but also you you travel about a bit in the film you go off to the far east you recreate things with 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 child actors playing the roles of you guys as kids but in the present so there's a, and but also part of the film you you actually cover some of the um the process of that you know you, we we see the workshops with the kids um yeah yeah it's an 18 of them as well it was quite a big yeah big undertaking um and um yeah there's all sorts of i mean there's hundreds of hours of footage of the stuff yeah. we shot with them um and you know only a certain amount made the the cut um they were absolutely brilliant to work with and they they're the, they're the kind of heart of the film i would say mm. um and yes we did something rather unusual which was we so we had these 18 kids and they all turned up to do auditions um and obviously they they in their minds they thought they were going for one of three roles. Yeah. But we knew before we even had the, the auditions that we were going to cast all of them, um, regardless of what they did at the audition. <laughs> uh, and so we we had a plan to have um, six sets of hippies, basically, um, and to be kind of conceptually willful and say, it doesn't matter if a seven-year-old black kid plays my sister for example mm. and as he says in the film you know how am i supposed to look like her i don't even have the right color of skin <laughs> you're not even a girl either emmanuel you know what i mean so it was a kind of um play like it play you know really it was a it was a lot of play loads of play and improvisation um but the film also you know it's quite dark in places it touches on some pretty dark stuff from my own experience you know? No, no, no. Without, I was going to get to that. I mean, you, you, you don't shy away from uh, from key emotions and uh, uh, memories of those emotions. Plus, plus how people feel today, which is what's expressed mm. in the film. I mean, in particular, obviously, this this conversations with your mother, which get very emotional uh, during the movie. Yeah. Um, was that something that you were prepared for, or was that a surprise as part of the process of the film? I mean, I mean, you know, my my previous films. I mean, I set about capturing things, and then that will inform the next steps. Um, so Ashley and I went to Bristol to film my mum as, and as a first step, you know, without any funding, which is where we got that that interview. Yeah, um, and a very important part of the, the film it is. Um, and just to, to give you an example of, the, of my kind of modus so in in that scene she reads out a letter and it says a letter from a child yeah and it's this emotional letter from a child who's just saying you know mum i can't bear it i'm weeping i'm i, I when when will when, when will i next see you because obviously this is a situation of divorce we were living apart from our mum and but it doesn't specify which child it's from um, and lines from that letter are extracted and used as lyrics in, in other parts of the film and voice and narration. So it's kind of that letter is unpacked and sort of seeded throughout the, the, the hundred minutes. So that by the time you get to the letter, you've already heard some of it without really realizing it. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And that happens a lot with material. So we were kind of unpacking ephemera and and um 
poems from the time, songs, photos, and then kind of throwing them all up in the air, seeing how they landed. Mm. And then, and then with the editor, you know, doing it, making the, making the pattern work. It's, I, I like to say in the Q and A's I've had that it's a true story in as much as everything in it is drawn from life in one way or another. I, no, we haven't really invented anything such, mm. um, but it feels like it's like this crazy kaleidoscopic um, improvised thing, but actually it's quite, tightly structured well um, in that sense then we're given in, in, in a musical way perhaps yeah 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 but given, given what you said there about your process then i mean a question i ask a lot of documentarians when i have them when i have them on is about perception at the beginning and the end so there's the thing you perceive you're going to make and then there's the perception of it when you've made it now obviously given this yeah. is about you and your family what perceptions about yourself have shifted in the process of making this film um, I, I, not, not a huge amount because I think I've, my, you know, my mum always says to me, I was born with, with full self-knowledge. So, you know, and that's what I was exploring. I say at the start of the film, I want to embody the film. I don't, I don't want it to be about these stories. I need, I want it to be it. Mm. So an example of that is, um, just as an aside, um, my dad, appears in it very, very fleetingly, just says a few words. Um, and audiences sometimes say, well, why isn't your dad in it more? Why didn't you go into more depth? I said, well, because he didn't want to be in it really at all. And that's as much as he wanted to give. So I just thought, well, that represents him. And, it, and if the audience feel like, oh, the dad's missing, then that's because that's what it feels like for me in 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 the real world. Right, <laughs> so okay. that's what I want, you know, rather than, you know, discussing that at all in the film, you just give people the experience mm. um, and then they have the experience. That's the hope. And so that this is why, you know, my mum's in it a lot because she's very present in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and my brother's not in the film at all. So <laughs> That's true, that's true. Well, no, it's just, it just yeah. because obviously we don't, we don't often do self-examination to the degree that your film does. Mm. So I just wondered how that, you know, you're having to look at yourself like, like from a helicopter above, but also you're the person looking in the camera at the same time. So it's like, I just wondered if that could, if that affected you. I mean, also, how do you remain unconscious of, of yourself while trying to make a film about yourself? Um, it's because I'm a performer as well. So I'm performing myself. Right. Okay. Um, if you see what I mean, and, and also performing as other sort of aspects or characters and responding to things. Um, yeah, I, I'm, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Has it? Has it? I've been asked several times. Was it cathartic? Mm. And in a way, but I think more importantly than that, I don't need to make that film again. It's obviously something I needed to to, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now I've done it. It's like, whew, well, thank goodness for that. I would never, I wouldn't make a film like that again. You know, at the start of the film, I said this might be my last film because it felt like, right, I'm going for this full on as if I'm going to die tomorrow, you know? Hmm. And um, that's, that's the way we, we went for it. But whilst having a lot of fun as well, and it's really funny in places and um, uh, yeah, it's, but I know it's, I don't find it difficult to lay myself on the line for my art. I mean, that's once I decided to become an artist, I just thought, well, it's all do it all in or just don't bother. Yeah. 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 You so know, so I'm, I'm very, 
permitted in that way. And, and no, no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no quarter given. There's no quarter given in this film, Matt. That's for certain. Um, now, w- <laughs> one of the things that struck me that was interesting, and because because you, you talk about yourself being like the youngest post punk band, and there's lots of scenes with mm. you playing around with uh, Malcolm McLaren's gravestone. Yeah, which I guess is sim- symbolic of the enduring nature of punk. I think, or your or your love of it. But I mean, and because I, I interviewed a writer recently, Richard Cabot, who's written a few books about about punk and but punk as in the nature of it, not the not the genre of music. Like what it, it, it like we talked about the idea that um, goodness gracious, um, Rocky on a picture show because. Being, being a punk rock movie because the the original stage play was on was on the King's Road. You know the, they were kitted out with gear from the same shops that then would become, you know, the houses of what became mm-hmm. punk rock attire, for want of a better expression. Um, so it's just this idea of, I mean, in your life, in your lifetime, then what? How do you think punk has changed and shaped to suit our times, or as, or is it irrelevant now? And it's just a nostalgia thing. Um, I would say it was. It's post-punk, not punk, that's shaped me. Um, okay. I was too young for the Pistols, really. I remember, you know, I remember that there was a record on the radio that was banned because I think my mum must have spoken about it. Yeah. Um, but I was only what six or something when that. Mm. So, but you, you, know, you feel. But I'm thinking about featuring Malcolm McLaren, who obviously was like one of the Svengalis of. Yeah. So the reason he's, I don't particularly admire or like him, but my mother does, and 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 the what so in within the film it says. You know, mum was inspired by Malcolm McLaren and she saw herself as a kind of Svengali of Oh, I see. Sorry, sorry, I forgot that. As he was, as he was the Sven. Yeah, but it's okay. It's, I've been asked that a few times, so it may not, I may not have um, clarified it well enough in the film. But um, yeah, because it would appear that I'm obsessed by him because, you know, I'm kissing his headstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sticking my fingers up his nostrils and dancing. But um, actually, it's me just being a cheeky, irreverent, punky guy towards this this man that we should be revered <laughs> so and i think he would have approved of that so yeah i'm on, honoring like it's like you know acknowledging shakespeare or something <laughs> if you're going to talk about you know he, he was like the kind of grandmaster wasn't he of, of a certain um social concept he was he certainly was a ringmaster for what became popular out of punk that's for certain yeah exactly so i mean but the the i mean that i was just you know, I mean, seven or eight, nine years old. I'm just, I just liked sticking my fingers up and spitting and doing, you know, just the sort of being a, like a bit bad, but like not violent, just sort of cheeky, and that all of that appealed to me. And I was very fond of John Lydon, mm. um, as John Lydon, not Johnny Rotten, as much, um, and followed really early days of Public Image and stuff. I thought that was all really powerful and great um i'm still quite you know still quite fond of him but i think if if we can take one thing the sort of post-punk is that it's that that diy aesthetic that you can just create something out of nothing that's on your table that's already in your room or on your table and and that is 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 so it's informed my way of of working definitely and through lockdown i quite enjoyed lockdown because it, it limited gave creative limitations and from that I produced a huge amount of work for Instagram and performances and poetry and songs and little films just from what was in the, in the bedroom really and I don't think I would have 
had that capacity had I not kind of engaged with with punk and post-punk. How can people see Sound for the Future? It is available to rent or buy online um, via the usual channels, really. It's YouTube, um, Google Play, um, Net... Is it on Netflix? No. Yes, I think it's on Netflix and Prime. Prime, that makes no, sense. No, I don't think... No, it's not on Netflix. Netflix. You can't, rent, you can't rent or buy on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Prime, <coughs> Google Play, YouTube, and Apple Store. There you go. Moving swiftly along, three films that impacted everything in adult life. I'll just run the rules by the audience for those that are tuning in for the first time. Matt has given me three titles, which are films that have impacted everything in his adult life. We are going to talk to those film titles, and but Matt is doing this against the clock. So every time we hear this sound... You hear that okay, Matt? Yeah, I hear that. That's already making me anxious. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the five minutes are up, and then we can, we can finish our sentence or two, but we'll move on to the next title. And we'll discuss that for five minutes too. Does that seem clear to you, Matt? I'll do my very best. All you can do is talk about your memories and why this film is important to you and and all those kind of things. It's really, this isn't film studies for the BFI. This is more about our relationship (laughs) with film as much as anything else. Okay, that's that's cool. And and that's interesting in relation to what I've chosen. Um, Yeah, can I just, just before we start though, um, there was a, 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 there's a film that I'm, avoiding talking about um in favor of the other three and that film is star wars 4 i mean that was my first important cinematic experience and um but i think it doesn't deserve much more attention <laughs> it certainly doesn't need much more attention but yes doesn't i need get, more attention. i get your there point is, there is one one thing that i did take away from that you were, you were talking earlier about why why just certain things from childhood stick in your head and that is the shot of the land speeders going through the desert and the light. That's, that's the thing around the light. Um, and that come, that that will just as a sort of little prequel to talking about the other three. So starting with number one on your list, we've got 2000. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And one, a space oddity. Obviously, Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece. Why is that such an important film to you? When did you see it? Where did you see it? Well, we were taken to, so so around that time sort of late 70s um our mum our parents were divorced mum was living in cambridge and when we used to visit her in the holidays she would sometimes take us to the cambridge arts there and she took us to see 2001 a space odyssey when i must have been eight years old wow. which is a bold thing to take a child to <laughs> yeah no it's I amazing had absolutely no idea what was going on no idea whatsoever um, but at the same time, it was absolutely thrilling and terrifying. And of course, at that age, you believe the apes are real apes. So all the stuff that now looks a little bit shonky, you know, I, I genuinely thought they were real apes doing that. Um, 
Now, there's a few things that really stick out from it is um, the monolith. Just the, the just the presence of the monolith is just even if I think about it now, gives me, you know, an eerie feeling. And um, curiously, in Reading, where I we were living in term time, um, there was a development in the Mary's Butts area, which um, early 70s, and they were picking up on these hexagonal forms and stuff you see in 2001 and indeed Star Wars 4. And there is this large black triangular clock, um, like black marble. Yeah. That to all intents and purposes is like the monolith. And that's, you know, I walk past that every day. (laughs) Um, So uh, that, that film is kind of infused into my experience of Reading at that that point in time, um, and what else jumps out? The um, the sequence with the psychedelic tunnel. You know, he's like flying yeah. down a wormhole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he sees himself on his deathbed, and then he kind of turns into a baby, but <laughs> or something. I yeah, mean, yeah. In my mind at that time, and in my mind now, I have absolutely zero idea what's going on, except that it's kind of about light, time, um, to a certain extent memory it's sort of, sort of it's kind of about the uh, the entirety of life and existence and yet also about not very much at all with with, with good costumes but al- but also that idea of messing around with time kubrick almost mm. introduces the idea of the uncanny then because we're no longer no longer sure where we are and when we are from that point no and i think I, you can see that you get it's really only Lynch's David Lynch's films that give me the same feeling, you know, as that as 2001. So it's this tapping into some, you know, the subconscious and kind of basically he's, it's, you know, and he's addressing the idea of death and eternity and, and some massively important things that when you were eight, you just kind of, what is going on? But you, you're kind of scared because it's so, you know, scared by the enormity of the, the concept is like it's really um, facing you know mortality in a film um and i saw it again recently i mean some of those scenes are quite you know they made me laugh because they're a bit kind of <laughs> slightly rubbish you know in the production values and things, yeah. which is a terrible thing to say i know kubrick was obsessed about production values but um they 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 did what they could at the time with special effects and things had you out of interest had you seen star wars at this point um yes okay so you had a space you had a space opera already sort of sort of already understood and then you go see this well, yeah I, I think that's true um i can't remember exactly because well I, we went to see star wars um in the first week of its release uh in leicester square it was for my brother's birthday so when i think that's june yeah june 77 could it be i'll take your word for it i don't i don't know so it's, I think I would have seen it, yes, because then we only started visiting Mum in 78, I reckon. And what was, sorry, so again, what was the, con, what was the, what was the event that they were showing 2001 that your mum took you to? Because obviously 2001 is a 1968 film, isn't it? It was just the, the, the Cambridge, the Cambridge Arts Theatre. It was okay. just the, like the local art cinema, which is now the picture house. And do you have any recollection of the conversation with your mother after the fact? Like, um, the oh, bell saved you. 
Um, I can't remember discussing it with her. I can't remember discussing it. Right then, moving swiftly along, sir, to 1977 for the release of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, a film I said just before recording that I saw only seen this as an adult, so I'm interested to know what how, how does a child receive this film? I I just absolutely loved it. I think we saw this in a cinema in, in Reading. Mm. Um, so by this point, obviously, I'd seen, I may have, I would have seen Star Wars and, and presumably, possibly 2001. So, you know, the kind of in a realm of films that I was uh, familiar with from a, from quite young. Um, I love everything about that film. I mean, it's um, also, as I was saying before, that there were some things in it now that, that are sort of slightly laughable, but when you're that age, you, you believe everything. Mm. Um, and what, what, what I find really interesting is, is it's not really thought of as a, as a, as a kind of romance film, is it? But it's very, very romantic. Um, so, and there was some stuff kind of going on parallel with my life at the time. So our parents had divorced and I'd had that experience of that atmosphere Mm. That you get in a home when you and then you're a kid and the, and the adults are like you did you know you you're trying to behave you think it might be your fault or there's all that weirdness and they capture that brilliantly in in that film um, and yeah it's it's basically it's a sort of story of, of marital breakdown um, yeah they, I mean they don't they don't soft soap you on that at all do they they basically no, no, when when, when Dreyfus's family are out of the film they're out of the film they're, they're, you know he, yeah he's yeah, going forward doing this mad mission <laughs> well that's because he built a mountain inside the lounge you know? <laughs> yeah that's always um, going to cause a bit of trouble yeah and and yeah it's, so it's a sort of it's romantic in that he's he, he he's looking for this kind of something bigger something more, more grandiose and and he 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 pairs up with that that beautiful woman that I'm still in love with um in her denim shorts and they, you know, off they go towards the light, mm. light again, lights are so important to me. And to find this sort of sense of destiny. Um, and uh, yeah, all of that is somehow, it gets a bit overlooked, I think, with all the, with the special effects and all, all the other stuff. Um, one other thing that really struck me at the time was Francois Truffaut yes. playing this kind of specialist linguist scientist mashup <laughs> in his white shirt with his sort of tie slightly ragged and he is brilliant um and there's this whole scene which i think is absolutely astounding where you've got the the sign language the five the hand signs for the five tones yeah communicate with the extraterrestrials um and that uh ultimately led to me making that film dummy jim i think so it gave me an early interest in sign language and the idea of being able to communicate non-verbally okay um and the connection it there with tones um i think about that quite often today when i'm making music um you know that that scene with the 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 the, 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 the scientists on the ground and then the mothership and that communication and that mm. incredible electronics um babbling between the two joyous joyous thing um that's informed the way I write music, music I listen to, even. Um, so yes, a music concrete kind of idea. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's amazing, isn't it, that such a simple musical phrase from a movie became 
I mean, if you hear it, you know, you're there, aren't you? I mean, even like yeah, I say, I didn't yeah, see the I film until that old, but I knew I knew the musical phrase from the film for a long time. Yeah, it, it's it's brilliant. I did a piece once actually. It was called Monsieur Hulot's Close Encounters because I noticed that um, the the main theme from Vacances de Monsieur Hulot is. Um, Du, 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 du. Thought, Hang on a second, that reminds me of Close Encounters. So I pulled the two together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> so, it was, yes, it was called Mr. Ulo's Close Encounters. One of the things, like I said to you, I didn't watch this till I was an adult. And what struck me watching it in 2020, only with 2022 eyes, is that if you look at Richard Dreyfus's character now and go, who would, be, who would that character be in a 2022 film? He mm. would be the conspiracy nut bad guy. There's no way he would be a hero because there'd be. It, you know the way that the the way that we are all so fractured and divided now. That idea of a of somebody being like destroying a family in pursuit of this mad mission that would make that make you a bad guy. But in this in this film, they never make him out to be a bad guy. It's like his his mission is quite what do you call it? Um, Honorable's too strong a word, but it's 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 with the calling, isn't it? Yeah, it's genuine, isn't it? He's not he's not trying to destroy his life, but he can't stop it. He's compelled to do what he's doing. Yeah, it's a bit of I mean you could argue it's a bit I'll finish on this clanger. He's a bit of a Jesus character. Yes, yes. <laughs> which is a lovely segue uh for your third film, <laughs> which is The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yes. The Man Who Fell to Earth. This is another one we saw in the Cambridge Arts Theatre. Okay. And um, we went primarily because it was Bowie. Um, I think my mum already would have known some of Nick Rogue's earlier work, like performance and stuff. But uh, you know, we're all we're all all were and still are Bowie fans, and we were listening a lot around that time to Changes One, the first compilation, and also Low and Some of Heroes and that that kind of Berlin period. Mm. So I already had a sense of this mood. Of Bowie in that that realm. And I don't remember like again another film that probably we were way too young to be in because hmm. um, it's got the whole sort of gun gun and sex scene, isn't there? In the I mean, it's literally an Exeter certificate, so yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's stuff in there that you know, which was I probably would have just had no idea what they were doing, <laughs> let alone why. You know. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you then? How do you how do you, do you remember? Get a problem getting into cinemas to what I mean obviously you with your mum but that doesn't get you past being an 18 film well do you remember do you, do you remember Sean Barker my mum's lodger who's in Sound for the Future yeah he was the guy on the door oh so wow <laughs> <laughs> amazing there you go um, I don't know whether for free but certainly he would just sneak us in and and you know my mum's incredibly was incredibly liberal mother and she, and she was like children shouldn't be um protected from from art you know because she knew it wasn't going to be just randomly violent and stupid she knew it would have some guile mm. um and i guess if she i mean guess if she sat with you it's not like it's not like going watch a film i'm going off to do something else no no um and yeah and it was bowie i mean we basically forgive him anything except for the, the linguini incident have you seen that he made a film called The Linguini Incident, which yeah. I think he's tried to bury. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> anyway, so I won't forgive him for that one, but everything else he does, he, he gets away with it in our family anyway. Um, and there's a couple of things I remember specifically from the film. There's one scene where he he kind of... So I don't remember the plot. I'm not that interested in, in plots, really. I'm interested in the light, you know. And um, 
he has this kind of pre-internet type setup where he has this sort of globe. Okay. And he places it onto this stack. And so maybe it's a pyramid or some sort of system where you put these things in and you can kind of channel all the information from around the world. And this is the point when he's become, I guess, the fallen alien, isn't it? Because he, he becomes kind of human, doesn't he, in, in a sense? In it, and that, and that's yeah, it's kind of an assimilation, problems. isn't there? There's like this idea yeah, and this is when he becomes, you know, like... Um, megalomaniac. I mean, he looks brilliant because he's got fantastic shades on and like beautiful silk. And, you know, everything looks looks brilliant. And he's surrounded by all this light and information and becomes kind of all powerful, as I, as I recall. Um, yeah, and w- w- j- just there's a lot of interesting landscape in that as well, isn't it? There's some mm. moonscapes and and but one note about that film is it. There was a retrospective of Nick Rogue's films at the Cinema Nova in Brussels, right. and they programmed my short film Hotel Central from 2000 as the kind of short before the feature. Oh, wowza. Um, and then the same thing happened at the Filmhouse in Edinburgh as well a couple of years later. Um, and I wasn't there, but Nick Rogue was. So Nick Rogue has seen my short film. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and, you know, I wasn't when we made Hotel Central, I wasn't thinking about Man Who Fell to Earth at all, but obviously to, to the programmers, it's like there's this really strong connection. So there you go. That film had a must have had a very big impact on me so much that I can't even see it anymore, you know. <laughs> well, for, I was going to say, for others, for others to be able to see it not once but twice, kind of, that is quite an amazing subconscious link between the two that you've made. Yeah. I mean, I suppose there's a very literal thing in the, the, the Hotel Central starts with, you know, there's a guy that, you know, he didn't fall, but he he, he sort of appears on earth um, oh, okay. on, on bed. But um, but yes, I think it's more the mood of it and the, the kind of British sensibility as well. This sort of quite surreal, fashion aware, sort mm. of stylistically, they, they may. I need to go and watch, the, watch Man Who Fell to Earth again. See, see what it's like. <laughs> see what it's actually like. <laughs> well, look, that's our time up, mate. Brilliant. That was very, very entertaining and very interesting. And wowzer, seeing seeing those films as a kid—that's quite—that's quite a film education. Um, yeah. Can, can I can I sneak one last thought in on Close Encounters? Sure, you can. Yeah. Um, it's it's Spielberg's toys moving around on their own thing. Okay. Um, which it happens in several of his films. So toys come to life um, as if by magic, which is, you know, spooky when you're a kid. But that definitely influenced my early early work because the first films I made were stop frame animations. Okay. Um, kind of inspired by, at the time, by, you know, Czech animator Schwankmeyer. But actually when I saw... The, the Close Encounters again recently, I thought, ah, I, you know, it's the magic of that. And, and I wanted to do, I wanted to be able to make things move around on their own. Indeed. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the, the I, I mean, because as a kid as well, you you imagine your toys having a life, which obviously yeah. is brilliantly done on, brilliantly showed in the film Toy Story, but what obviously in the, <laughs> them coming alive literally in front of your eyes mm. is a, is yeah, a magical thing. You, kind of, you, you will it, don't you, as a child? Yeah, exactly. Oh, come on, 
Well, let's remind people yeah. then, how, how and where can they see Sound for the Future? Sound for the Future is now streaming online for rent or to buy. And that was, what was the list? It was YouTube, Apple Store, Google Play, and Amazon Prime. Well, it just gives me to say thank you very much for joining us on the BritFlix podcast. Okay, thanks, Stuart. That was fun. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.